and then I saw, you know, like in the kind of opening field that you can see in the email, it said like my apologies. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's not spam, but I must not have gotten the job because she thinks like my apologies. So I open it and it's like my apologies for the delay. I would like to offer you the role of chief of staff. And that was when my life changed. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Hey friends, hey, as many of you know, we usually focus on the millennial perspective and that is because I started this podcast to share content I wish I had as I navigated my journey through law school and my legal career. And I'm a millennial, so there you go. (laughs) Although the No Straight Path community is certainly an inclusive community, we welcome all generations and sometimes feature guests from other generations because we want to learn from each other. I want to remind all of the millennials that this content is for you. We are in a unique position right now. Millennials are the largest generation in the workforce. There is strength in numbers. We are moving into leadership positions and we've lived a little life in our professional careers. We know a lot more. We've built skills. We also know that we don't know everything. We've gotten more visibility as we become more senior, but we're not so senior that we're uncomfortable with change and finding innovative ways to work. We care about people, career fulfillment, and work-life balance. We have the power to affect positive change to ensure that we lead with a human-centered focus. Now, I know this is an overgeneralization and based on my research, other generations and most people want these things too. There's more commonalities than we think. I'll actually drop some relevant articles in the show notes if you're interested in the research behind this. But as the largest generation in the workplace, we have the power to push forward these values that most people want. So I think it's an exciting time. And that's why I was so happy to have today's guest on the podcast, Kaylin Cotton. Kaylin is a millennial leadership expert. Yes. Although she is in her early 30s, she's currently managing Issa Rae's media company. Yes, the media mogul, Issa Rae. (laughs) And Kaylin, she's incredible. I had the pleasure of doing a live podcast with Kaylin in LA a few months ago at The Gathering Spot. So special thank you to The Gathering Spot. It's a community that brings together Black entrepreneurs, creatives, executives, filmmakers, politicians, venture capitalists, lawyers, musicians, artists, everyone doing purpose-driven, interesting work under one roof. So shout out to The Gathering Spot. Love the team there. And of course, I do need to thank HubSpot for their sponsorship for this event as well. The creator team just did a wonderful job. So thank you all. The event was lovely. And Kaylin and I shared our stories as we were prepping for the show and we just connected on so many things. Our overachieving upbringings, supportive families, ambition, being just black women growing up in LA, and it was wonderful. 
Unfortunately, we did have some technical difficulties and Kaylin was kind enough to share her story with me virtually so that you can all listen to it because I think it is so inspiring. So thank you, Kaylin. And before we get to our conversation, let me tell you a bit more about her. Kaylin Cotton is a Los Angeles native dedicated to creative leadership strategies and pushing organizations forward with inclusive and equitable sensibilities. Kaylin began her career managing several retail locations for Fortune 500 companies, including Target and Skechers, where she led dozens of employees and learned the value of harnessing her millennial approach to leadership. Next, she took on entertainment at Shonda Rhimes media company, Shondaland, building out the company's brand guidelines and events. At Live Nation, she specialized in internal diversity, equity, and inclusion communication and programming. Kaylin's experience as often the youngest, one of few women, and only black person in the room has led her full circle to her current role as chief of staff of Issa Rae's Hooray Media. Kaylin attended UC Merced for undergrad and USC for grad school. And this was just another wonderful conversation. So let's get to it. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Kaylin. I am just so appreciative that you're doing round two of the No Straight Path interview. We had a wonderful live podcast, which was incredible. And we felt the energy of the crowd. I got to meet your parents. You got to meet my dad. It was incredible. And Things happen, technical difficulties happen, and so I'm just grateful that you're here to share your story with the No Straight Path audience. Yes, I'm so grateful to be here. Mercury Retrograde tried to take us out, but we're back and better. So, <laughs> yes, thank you again for exactly. having me. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes, Mercury Retrograde. I'm always learning from my friends who are into the horoscopes and the merch. Yeah, all of that. So... <laughs> So yeah, let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about your childhood and how you grew up. And can you, yeah, just share with us about your upbringing, your family, the values perhaps that your family instilled in you? Absolutely. So I am born and raised in LA, probably never going to leave. Grew up somewhat as an only child for at least the first nine to 10 years of my life until my younger brother came was raised by both my mother and my father, who are amazing and just very hardworking, is what I saw from them at a very young age, which I like to think is why I am how I am. Both my mother and father have a lot of sisters between the two of them. And so I say that to say at a young age, I was able to see what strong women, assertive women look like. And therefore, it really made me be the same way. That strength, that assertiveness, those are things that I bring into my career, into my personal life every single day. Some of my family would also describe me as bossy, (laughs) which some of my team currently may agree with. But just in general, again, I came from really hardworking, amazing parents, amazing grandparents as well, because since my parents worked so much, I spent a lot of time at a young age with my grandparents, you know, picking me up from school, the whole thing. I got to meet your parents, as I said, and they were just so lovely. And you said that they were so hardworking. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your parents? You know, where did they work? What were they passionate about? I'd love to see the little bits of them and how they show up in you. Absolutely. So my mother or my mom was a dental hygienist for most of like 
my younger years. So I remember, you know, she had a lot of structure within her job. I knew exactly what time my parents were going to leave every day. I knew what time they were going to be back. My dad was a machinist about five minutes from the house that I grew up in. So, you know, him coming home on lunch breaks and like riding his bike to work. So I got to see a lot of structure at a really young age. It has made me a very structured, routine person, which I appreciate. It's needed in a lot of the positions that I've had throughout my career. But again, my parents were both extremely hardworking, also just like very loving, very supportive parents, especially of an overachiever slash perfectionist child that I was. I'll never forget in high school, you know, you graduate and they give you your cumulative GPA of all of your four years. And mine was a 3.99. And I boo-hooed crying because I did not get a 4.0. And that was one of those moments where my mom and dad really had to be like, this is amazing. Like to walk away from high school with that GPA, but they knew exactly how to kind of calm my perfectionism, the overachiever in me. But Also, I was the oldest in most of not only like my family groups, but even my friend group. So there was always, I guess, this kind of internal pressure for me to be like that kind of like goal setter, like be the one to succeed, be the one to be the first to do this or the first to do that. Again, I have a younger brother. We're about nine years apart. So even setting the example for him. And my cousins and again, my friends, that was always really important to me. But I also had parents that I saw work really hard and be successful. So I think too, I was already at a young age starting to think about not having to work as hard, ultimately like setting myself, my future family up for success as well to be a little more present, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that and painting that picture because now I can see younger Kaylin overachieving, having these wonderful supportive parents and you wanting to go out and use the resources that they gave you and the support so you can even achieve more. And that is what you're doing, it seems like. Yes, thank you. (laughs) That is the role that you're (laughs) stepping into, which is incredible. And just being in the position that you're at now as chief of staff at Hooray Media. And I want to talk about how you got here. When did this passion for leadership start? Can you tell us about that? How did you cultivate that passion? Yeah, I would definitely say the leadership passion started in college. I went to UC Merced that at the time of my freshman year was just having its first four-year graduating class. So that school alone was brand new. There was a lot that wasn't there. So I feel like we all, anyone that went to that school, especially in those years, you had to really step up and create your own clubs, your own organizations, your own everything, because there was nothing. Because again, it was such a new school. And so being able to help or be a part of things like the school newspaper, writing clubs. I was a English literature major and had a minor in writing. So there was always just a curiosity for me immediately, like stepping onto that campus of like, what can I do here? Little did I know, like I would start to lead things. And that curiosity just continued as I got into all of these different clubs. I was 
the first person to intern at like NTV from UC Merced, interning at like BET. So again, a lot of firsts, a lot of having to be the leader in a lot of these organizations or the face of my school. So that is where it ultimately started. And then when I was graduating, there's that space where you're like, okay, now that it's time for me to leave, what am I going to do with this major in English? At the time, I thought I wanted to be an English professor, but I quickly realized that wasn't where I wanted my life to go right after undergrad. So after just kind of freaking out, not knowing what I was going to do, I got a (laughs) message one day from a LinkedIn recruiter from Target. I went through a really rigorous interview process with Target for a position called executive team leader. It is a fancy word for manager, but Target really prided itself on leadership. Like there was no use of the word manager. And so once I got that job, they send you into six weeks of what they call business school training. And honestly, that laid the foundation for me of what it means to be a leader. They even like broke down, you know, the difference between a leader versus a manager. It was just really impactful for me. And they equipped you with the skills to go into a store and be able to, of course, succeed personally, but you can't succeed without your team was my biggest takeaway from the business school. And so that is honestly my foundation. And I think what kind of like got me into that like passionate space added on with college, UC Merced being very new. Yeah, no, I love that journey and that trajectory. And you did make a pivot from the retail space to the entertainment space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. At Target, I kind of quickly realized that I wanted to go back to grad school, but I wanted to be patient with myself um, and figure out exactly what I wanted to go back to school for. And I figured out through a lot of professional development sessions and what Target called like leadership development with your boss, that a strength for me was communication. So I started to explore that, ultimately went back to school, USC, their communications management program. And I was like, there's no way that I can work these 12, 15 hour days at Target and be a full-time student at USC. So I did stay in retail, but I left Target, went to Skechers. That allowed me to have a little bit more control over my schedule. And once I got my master's degree, I quickly knew, okay, it's time for me to pivot. I want to be more involved with brands and like visual communications and storytelling. That was just something that I put together through all of these different experiences. And so I kind of put feelers out there to friends and just my network about being open to opportunities. And I had a really good friend of mine um, send me a position at Shondaland. And so that position was reporting into her chief of staff, ironically, and then her chief brand development officer. So it was going to, to me, give me all of the things that I wanted out of a role at the time. I was going to get to play around in the brand space, kind of be in the internal workings of the company. And I hope to be able to use, you know, what I had just went to school for, which was communications. So that was a really big pivot moment for me going out of like a store environment where you're like busy and you're moving and it's people all the time, customers, employees, everything in huge teams to going into a very small company. At the time, I was a 33rd employee hired and a very much corporate, you're sitting at a desk all day environment. So a lot of big changes there. 
Yeah. How was that transition? So you are up on your feet because everyone's different. I'm curious about your personality and how it was a fit or whether or not it was a fit. You're up on your feet. You said that one of your strengths is communication and that's why you went back to grad school. And and so you're communicating with people all the time in person. And then so you're moving to this corporate space and at your desk. And I am someone who sits at a desk a lot and I don't necessarily love it all the time. (laughs) And so, yeah, how was that transition for you? In the beginning, it was tough. I'm a very solution-oriented person. And so coming into an organization and one, not even knowing the lingo, because I hadn't worked in entertainment since undergrad, that alone was difficult. It was like, you know, trying to exercise a muscle you haven't used in a while. And then really understanding like the corporate structure of that environment. Who are the key players? What are the resources Because again, I had come from really large companies where it's very clear, this is the approval process. This is where you go for this. So there was a lot of unknowns. So I really had to humble myself, take a step back. And for the first at least 90 days, just observe and ask questions to figure out, okay, what's the cadence of this organization? What is their why? What's driving the work that they do? Learning the lingo and spending a lot of time with people. That was huge in me being successful there. I love that. I love just all of that advice for someone that may be transitioning to a new job or to a new workplace, just really stepping back and observing and learning and doing your research and figuring out how you're going to move forward. And you have really gained this strong reputation in leadership. And I'm just curious about how you define good leadership. What does it look like? I know that you're a millennial. We make up most of the workforce now. We are stepping into leadership positions. And so I'm curious about your take on leadership. Yeah, I think for me, someone that is a good leader, they're a good mix of both like a coach and mentor. This is something I've been talking about a lot with my own personal executive coach because, again, I want to continue to be better as a leader. I feel like you can never stop learning. Anyway, random tangent. So for me, a good leader, again, is that balance of coach and mentor, someone who can kind of put on the hat of coaching you through to get to the ultimate like solution or question or why, or the mentor space of just kind of advising you, giving you like their own personal like experience, their POV into whatever the ask or the question is. I also think for me, it's someone who has a good balance of emotional intelligence. I think that some people are like, well, how do you get emotional intelligence? I think it comes with being really, really self-aware. So I think a lot of being a good leader too is the personal work or the personal side of things. It is maybe going to therapy. It is taking classes on communication. I think it is, again, being extremely self-aware of what your triggers are. And also that you can't talk to each person on your team or communicate with each person on your team in the exact same way. I think there's a real rhythm to that as well. And I think it's someone who can show up every day and be transparent, say transparently, I don't have the answer to that question. I'm not feeling great right now. Let's connect tomorrow. I think those are some of like the standout things to me. And then just the last thing I'll say too is just leaders that like pay it forward and really look out for you. I always tell a story about one of the best managers that I had. I didn't know she was going to be the best manager at the time, but 
as I was going through my interview process and got offered the job from her, it was like the most money that I had ever made. So I quickly was like, yes, offer accepted. And she kind of immediately in that moment stopped me and coached me and said like, hey, like, I just want you to know, like never accept the first offer. Like you never know how much money these companies have on the table. She's like, I'm telling you that because there's a little bit more money on this table. And I want you to be able to, to be able to take that and not just accept what was offered. So again, that was a moment for me. I knew I was like, oh, not only is this company great, but like, she's going to be a great boss because she's looking out for me right at the start of this whole offer process. Yeah, no, I love that story so much. And you said a few things. One thing I know is that you said that you grew up as an overachiever. I can relate. (laughs) The (laughs) 3.99 and crying is, that's still, that's cracking me up. But I understand at the time. (laughs) And you're also very self-aware. That's an important core part of leadership and your definition of a good leader. And so it seems like you've been on this self-discovery, self-awareness journey regarding your leadership skills and how you show up as a leader. And so I'd love to know what you've learned about yourself on this leadership journey. Tell us about who you are. Who is Kaylin as a leader? What do you need to work on? What do you struggle with? What are your strengths? That is such a great question. So I'll start with the things that I struggle with. One of them has, you know, transparently been boundaries. I've been in somewhat of a new role. It'll be almost two years in June. But when I first started, this is also the highest touch point position that I've ever had. So I'm dealing with people above me, across from me, below me, like all of the things. And so with that, there are a lot of asks, a lot of just people wanting, again, to come and talk to me about problem solving, advice, all of the things. And so I have struggled with, you know, saying no sometimes or not giving myself a buffer between meetings or sometimes the more spontaneous meetings that will happen. I pour into a lot of people's cups. And so not having strong boundaries can sometimes uh, cause me to get burnt out really quickly. So it's something that I am working on every single day. My executive coach, again, has been a really important part of helping me like reground because you can never be too good at setting boundaries. So that's the one thing for me that has been somewhat of a struggle. There will be times where I'm really good at it and times where I fall. So I think that's one of my struggles. And I think strengths for me, oh, that's such a good question, Ashley. Let's see. I think if I was to ask like my team what my strengths are, I think it is being able to connect with the people. I think I am very trustworthy. I think that also goes into the role of a chief of staff. You do have to be a very trustworthy person. But I think the two go hand in hand for me when you're able to like establish genuine relationships and connections with people that you work with. I automatically think that helps you build that trust. I think I'm a great communicator, which works really well. Again, for my role, there's a lot of lobbying and like having to propose new ideas and new programs and things like that. But I also think I know who my audience is and can tweak as needed. And I think like the third thing, and you just mentioned it, is being self-aware. But 
that is because I do do a lot of work and I'm a very internal person. Like I care a lot about the companies and the teams that I've worked for. So I always want to be better and therefore, and hopefully make the people around me better. And I feel like you struggle with your strengths being also a weakness and that can be a hard boundary, I feel. At least you can correct me if I'm wrong because I feel like I have this as well. It's challenging to set boundaries when you really are good at connecting with people and people trust you and you care about them and you want to listen to every problem, but simultaneously then you get burned out. And so it's like that tension. It's like something that you're so great at can also be something that's really tough to manage because there's a tension there. And so- Thank you for sharing that. That is me. I am seen. I feel seen. Yes. So, <laughs> and yeah, so we're at now. I'd love to talk about the pivot to chief of staff of Hooray Media because that's a big deal. You're young chief of staff. As you said, you're managing up, you're managing down. You know, how did that happen? Yes. Yeah, so, Hooray was truly a blessing through the storm that was the pandemic 2020. So in 2020, I was at a company that I absolutely adored, Live Nation. Was loving it. No one could have ever imagined when they said that they were going to send us home for two weeks that it would turn into months and months and months. So I kind of used that as like the context into losing my job, unfortunately. Live Entertainment was completely shut down. And so I lost my job and basically at the time was also trying to become a homeowner. And so when I lost my job and was also trying to become a homeowner, I was just like, entertainment is feeling a little shaky to me right now. So I think I'm going to pivot out for a little bit and come back in when it feels a little more stable. So I pivoted out, was at um, like an educational retailer for about six months. And I am in this amazing Slack group that consists of like hundreds of Black executives in entertainment. And one of the Slack channels is called Jobs and Opportunities. And someone posted one day, this is almost verbatim. They were like, word on the street is Issa Rae is looking for a chief of staff. And that like piqued my interest. I went into like the directory and found someone that was at her company. So I reached out to learn a little bit more about the role. She was so gracious. The person that I reached out to was like, send me your resume. And so I sent in my resume, got a message from East's executive assistant at the time, started going through the interview process. I think I was about three interviews in, and then it just kind of went radio silent for about two weeks. And I remember like during that time, I had closed escrow on my house. I was starting to move in. So I was kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to take this time and get moved into this house. I will never forget, you know, sitting in my empty living room because I had just moved in. I was waiting for furniture. There was all the furniture delays because of COVID. I was sitting on a folded chair in the living room. It was like six, seven o'clock at night. And I saw an email come in and it said Issa Rae. And I was like, oh, this is spam. (laughs) Like this is 100% spam. And then I saw, you know, like in the kind of opening field that you can see in the email, 
it said like my apologies. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's not spam, but I must not have gotten the job because she's saying like my apologies. So I open it and it's like my apologies for the delay. I would like to offer you the role of chief of staff. And that was when my life changed sitting in my empty living room what? on my folding chair. <laughs> And it was Issa Rae. Can we confirm it was Issa Rae who sent that email? We can confirm. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is, I love it. What an incredible story. And now that you're there, that you're at the company, you know, what is the vision that you have or that Issa has that you want to help fulfill when it comes to Hooray Media? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the vision and Issa is so transparent about this in all of her kind of press facing interviews. We want to continue to be a industry disruptor. We want to continue to bring people, creative people into spaces that are underrepresented, minorities, women, the people who are not always given those chances to be in this industry and disrupt it, but also to be global. Like we want to be international. We also want to be a company that continues to leave a footprint in South LA. So whether that be us having the studio with sound stages and the whole nine, continuing to just support local businesses, have like the events that we continue to have within our office space. Those are all our vision and our why, our North Star, all of the things. I love the work that you guys are doing. And I'm curious about how you take care of yourself. And you are in a position where you are leading and taking care of a lot of people and a lot of things and a lot of issues. I know so much comes up when you are chief of staff of any company, based on my research and talking to friends and what you've told me. (laughs) I have not done it. But, (laughs) and so, yeah, I'm curious about you. How do you take care of you? Yeah. So for me, I know I've made this reference so many times, but the executive coach is a big way that I take care of myself. I'm able to unpack so much in those sessions. But even outside of coaching, like I also have therapy, which is also really good so that I can, you know, manage some of the the real things that come with being in a position like this, you know, transparently, like I struggle with anxiety and there's a lot of imposter syndrome that I still deal with because now I'm in spaces and my colleagues are people who just five years ago, I was going to see be on panels and things like that, right? And now I'm sitting at the table with these people. And so I also have to do a lot of reframing of the thoughts that I have to just try and break those thought processes. I also take full advantage of our unlimited time (laughs) off policy. So I do love to travel (laughs) and like get outside of LA. I think it's so important to like, have that balance and like see the world to just be able to really disconnect from all of the wants and the needs that can come with my job and just go and just have fun. I also love brunch. My friends know I'm a brunch connoisseur. I love like restaurants, ambiance, taking half days, massages. I have like my self-care routine. I'm so high maintenance. But those are like my moments too of just (laughs) kind of 
pulling back and being able to pour into myself. Also, the last thing I'll say too is like a big part of my self-care wellness is also like TV and film. Like I love to just like binge watch shows and see what's out there. And that's a way too to kind of like give your brain a break from the reality of life. Yeah, no, I love that. And was that something you always loved, just like film and TV? And is that what inspired the transition to entertainment? I know that you said that you wanted to do more storytelling and, you know, with brands and things of that nature. Yeah, where did that come from? When I was little, there's no fear. I was always like on stage, talent shows. I would sing, I would dance, I would choreograph. At one point, I thought I was going to be a choreographer. That didn't happen. So there's always been curiosity there. But then as I got into college and started interning for these big media companies, there was just something that always just took me back to entertainment. Even if it was like I interned at ABC Fresno doing like broadcast journalism. So there was always something that pulled me there. I think looking back now, I couldn't figure out what my path was in entertainment. But now that I look back, I'm like, I'm exactly where I was supposed to be. So all of the curiosity that I had and I explored and I pivoted, it's interesting that all of those moments like in my timeline or this past decade really help inform the work that I do now. Like it's so important that I'm familiar with brands. It's so important that I had like the broadcast journalism experience and like knowing how to deal with press and things like that. So in TV, I did HR as an intern. I have to like HR reports into me now. So it's so interesting how like all the pieces of your journey will make so much sense when you look back and you just trust it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I completely agree. And I'm curious if you have advice for anyone who might want to explore a career like yours or who is just interested in taking a leadership role. What kind of advice do you have for that person? Yes, I would say if there's interest in a leadership role, I think <sighs> you have to know that it is a high level of dealing with people. And people are and can be unpredictable, but they can also be amazing and driven and ambitious. And so I think if you are willing to do the self-work, and I think even just outside of being a leader, having that curiosity about what that could be and about who you are can take you so far. And not just in being a leader, but just in your journey in general. Like that is something that I've always told myself is to just be curious as much as possible. Like if you are working as an assistant right now in film and TV, but you keep on thinking about finance, Get with your boss, figure out how you can start working on projects in finance. Just continue to be curious, figure out what drives you, what you're passionate about, because I think that that will ultimately lead you on your path. And I think no pun intended, it is also okay to not have a straight path. Like you don't need to hit every step of what you think is ultimately going to lead to the end of your journey. And I think I really am a testimony of that. My path has been all over the place. <laughs> but when I, again, when I look back at it, it's just like, okay, wow, that is 
why I had to be in these spaces and do all of these things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's such great advice. You know, find out what drives you, what you're passionate about, and what drives you specifically when it comes to this work or life in general. Yeah, I think life in general and this work, because I like to think they go hand in hand. My pastor recently said something to our whole church around like, you know, the people are the prize. And that really, I felt it like in my soul, because for me, (laughs) I think that that is somewhat like my tagline. I think the people are the prize. I think the only reason, or not the only, but a big reason of why I've been successful is because of the people that have been on my journey, that have been in these companies, that I've invested time in and have invested time in me. And I really do think that when companies pour more into the people, they will naturally see the results that they want. That's my belief. And so as I continue to be curious about my own purpose in this world, one thing that I can wholeheartedly say is that there is a huge tie-in with people and leadership. And I'm just going to continue to, you know, explore that. No, I think that's wonderful. And you are dealing with people and you said it earlier, they can be wonderful and amazing and incredible. And I agree. And then also unpredictable. And I'm sure it has its challenges. And you are also an entertainment and I hear, I'm not in it either, but that it can (laughs) be a challenging industry. (laughs) sometimes with ego and things of that nature. And so I guess I'm just curious about how do you deal with those difficult situations, different kinds of personalities, different external pressures and deadlines and expectations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for me, when it comes to the more difficult people or even difficult conversations, it is hard, but this comes with what I like to think is, you know, my self-awareness. I try and really pull myself, any like taking things personally, any of what I know to be triggers for me, I have to completely push that to the side and just focus on that person. So I tend to ask a lot of questions like, okay, so tell me why you're feeling upset right now, or tell me why you felt you needed to say that. Because a lot of times when you're able to ask those types of questions and a person can just be real and transparent with you, even if you don't want to hear it or like what they're saying, it helps you be able to at least understand the frame of mind that they're coming from. And to me, that helps me be able to then say to them, you know, whatever I think the next question needs to be to ultimately lead to, okay, so here's my POB on what needs to happen, or here's where you were wrong, or here is this, or here's how this offended me. I try and use a lot of I statements as well throughout difficult conversations, because what I've noticed is a lot of times when you say, you did this, you, 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 a person automatically gets really defensive. So I think that's another tool for me that's very helpful. But a lot of it again, is understanding where that person's POV and then putting it back on me and the I, more assertive statements, if you will. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like such a great example of empathetic leadership 
And I love that. You're probably so great in relationships too. So that's good too, (laughs) from personal perspective. (laughs) Yes. I've gotten better. (laughs) We're all learning. We're all growing. And one other thing I just wanted to ask is, can you tell us about a period in your life where you experienced a lot of personal growth? And what did you learn from this experience? Yes. I'm torn between two times, but I I honestly think for me, the past three years since 2020, I've experienced an immense amount of personal growth. I lost a job in 2020. I thought I was going to become a consultant at one point. I was living at home with my parents and was about to turn 30. And there was a lot of internal pressure. My perfectionism, the overachiever in me, really wanted to be out of my parents' house, be on my own. There was all of these internal pressures that were coming up for me. And then just in addition to that, when I finally did get the house, I got the house and a new job on top of that. So there was a point that it felt very overwhelming. And again, like I said earlier in our conversation, the people pleaser in me wasn't saying no enough. Like I was feeling very, very overwhelmed. And it's like everything that I had asked God for I had gotten and then I was upset is how I felt. So I really had to do some digging. And again, like you said, personal growth, that came from digging and stopping because I had like this moment of I was asking God for all of this and then I got it. And now I'm like, oh my God, why did you do everything all at once? Like, why did I move out and become the homeowner and get this new job that I wanted? There was a lot of like questioning. And so that is when I started to dig into my tool bag and do things like get an executive coach, learn more about boundaries, how to properly set them, what that looks like, how to kind of cut that people pleaser in me off and still let people know I'm here for you. I just can't be right now. So, you know, these past three years for me have been extremely impactful and beneficial to my personal growth. Like I can say like, I like who this Kaylin is becoming. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. That's one of my favorite questions that I don't need to ask because now I know the answer. You like who you're becoming. You're doing the personal growth work. The outside appearance can look a certain way, but the internal work is so important for you to really show up in a way that's sustainable that's fulfilling so you can be good for yourself and for everybody else. And so I love that story. And this has been such an incredible conversation. I usually end with final thoughts. Please share. It's important to know too, that we're all on our own journey. So it's like what worked for me may not work for the next person, but just bask in your journey. Like someone recently told me, the older you get, there's not a lot of first things. So like bask in the journey of, you know, your first job or your first pivot or your first switch, or even your first, like I quit something because it wasn't fulfilling to me. Like just bask in all of the things that come with your journey, because we don't get a ton of first, especially as we get older. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your no straight path journey. 
If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.